0: Good morning, everybody. Okay, I'm going to speak. F- uh, 20 minutes. All right, I'm giving myself that as a time limit. Um, I want to say if you feel the kids, Hannah, if you feel the kids need to come out, then I can handle the disruption. Okay, um, I hope you guys can too. Remember their phrase, if you don't hear crying, then your church is dying. All right, so there we go. So I don't, I don't not appreciate or, or love our young people. It's just what they do. Uh, And some of the older ones also, that's what they do. Thinking of you, Stu, but you're not in here. He's he's outside. Um, It's amazing to me that we're already in the middle of Feb. Does it not feel like this year? It's just once again, just... Is it that as you get older, like, time just zooms up? I'm sure for... What was that? It's the case, isn't it? So I'm 42 now. No, am I 42? No, I'm 42 this year. I'm aging myself. No. How old am I? I was in 1975. Thank you. There you see, time and memory just just (laughs) disappears very quickly, Um, and yeah, (laughs) and it's half term already as well next week. Man, they've only been at school two minutes. (laughs) Oh man, I love them, but you know, all week week. it's going to last forever. How's Why does that happen? (laughs) Anyway, I love my children. Okay. Over the past month and a half, what have we been focusing on? What have we been talking about? Extreme fruitfulness, and we've been focusing on John 15 as well. Um, And uh, this year is going to be, and I declare it again, it is going to be a year of extreme fruitfulness, both both personally, and as as a family, a church family. John 15 is where Jesus speaks about himself as the true vine and us as the branches. So why don't you turn to John 15. If you've got a Bible app spark up your Bible app and open it up to John 15. If you have a book, open your, your dead tree to John 15. Okay? If you know it off the top of your head, then just open your brain. <laughs> so I want to I look at the very, uh, the, uh, I think it is, is that one. It's one of the very first verses in that chapter. Can I just look, just to check? Uh, yeah, there we go. Yeah, it is that. I'm right. And what does it say? I am the vine. And you are the branches. Yeah. Stop there. I am the vine. You are the branches. Uh, when I looked up information about vines on Google, one of the first things that came up. Uh, was this thing called Vine, uh, a social media app. Anybody remember Vine? Yeah. Thanks, Dan. Yeah. You're the other one in the room. It was it was an app that it's, it's recently become obsolete. They've recently actually stopped. Uh, um, they, cut off the vine. they cut off the Vine. And basically, it was something I think done by Twitter. Is that right, Dan? Uh, and, and it was about making just six-second videos. Like, that was it. You had six seconds. Uh, to make a short video and post it online uh, and these they're, honestly actually look it up because there are some amazing videos you can do a lot in six seconds talking about time earlier you know where things seem to go very quickly actually you can do quite a lot in six seconds and if you look at some of the the vines that are still around you can still access them there are people, imaginations of people it's absolutely amazing anyway that wasn't what I was after um, but I just thought it was interesting that vine is now obsolete Um What's more interesting is that um, there are probably more vines of the grape variety around today than there has been probably any other, any other time. I mean, you can go into a supermarket now and there are just you know rows and rows of all different types of wine. I think now the UK is getting into the wine industry. I think as the atmosphere heats up, I think that's possibly something to do with it. Um, we're beginning to actually create really nice wine within the UK. So there are more and more wines around the world. And... Um, The image of the vine then, the image of of that, is still something that makes sense to us today as a metaphor for our life in Christ. Now, we're going to bang on about this John 15 uh, chapter throughout the year. Um, and we're going to take it from loads of different angles. Uh, and I think um, Paul Airey said last week that he's just rereading it and rereading it and rereading it. And God is speaking to him in so many different ways. So we've had Ian come up and I spoke about the, this metaphor, but I changed it into the metaphor of the smartphone. Do you remember? A few weeks ago. Um, I'm going to be a bit more plain uh, this, this today. and I'm going to specifically talk about the vine. So let me give you some info, some interesting facts. Great vines are perennial and they live a long time. A long, long time. They're a plant that can survive and produce fruit for centuries. Uh, they, they, they have a real legacy. There's some of these massive vines. So they can last for a long time in the wild. They can wrap themselves around trees. But there is an art and a science to cultivating, uh, uh, cultivating grapes for harvest so that they, uh, they bear much fruit. There's an art and a science about it. Vines need a good water supply, and they need good space for them to grow, as well as deep soil. So I want to just put that now from God's point of view. From God's point of view, our purpose in life is really quite simple. Just like the grapevine, uh, the main purpose of our lives is to do what? Yeah, yeah, to produce fruit, to be fruitful. But what's even more important, I think, and I think God has it's been coming out this morning so far, um, is, is that the owner of the vineyard is in charge. Okay? The owner of the vineyard is in charge. He's in control. And he's focused on receiving as much fruit as possible from his vineyard. Yeah? So Jesus' teaching in John 15 is important for us to take hold as as believers and as followers of Jesus. Let's think about the context of this passage. Jesus had just washed the feet of his disciples. He'd led them through the final meal. He's introduced the Lord's Supper. Eventually he walks with them to the Garden of Gethsemane where he'll pray, he'll later be arrested. And by the time, finds, by the time that the sun finds its, its way to midday, the very next day, Jesus will be hanging on the cross. Jesus knew the timetable. He knew what was about to happen. So every word that he is using, every story that he is telling, every metaphor that he is using, he is using with great care. There's not a wasted moment now. He needs to get everything in order, sorted out. And here in John 15, he's using the vine as a metaphor And the vines of that day were just beginning a season of growth. And the the signs that a gardener or a vine dresser, as you call it, had been there would have been clearly obvious. That the vines around the area would have been been tended, pruned, cleaned and tied to something called the abor. Which is like a, a spindle or something which you start to wrap them around. A season of growth would have been a season of care. That initial point of growth of beginning to work it out. And would have been a prelude to a season of harvest. Let's actually read uh, John 15 from verse 1 to 8. So I'm going to read it all. It's always good to hear the word of God when we meet together, isn't it? Excellent. I am the true grapevine. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. You cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my father. Amen. Wow. Hallelujah. Let it be. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. And this brings what? Brings glory to the Father. There are a few things that I want to draw out from these verses. So the first thing to recognize is that the vineyard belongs to God. That vineyard belongs to God, nobody else. There's no mistaking that principle. Jesus said, I am the vine. I am. If you, look at, if you look that up in the Old Testament, I am is I am who I am. I am the Father. I am God. He's using those words with care. So the very first sentence of that chapter, I am, he's declaring who he is. He is the vine dresser. He is the owner of this particular vineyard. And you, that's you and me, we are what? The We're the branches. There's no trick questions, folks. You can... Come out with it, and if you're wrong, that's fine. Don't worry about it. At the very beginning of the passage, says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. My father is the vine dresser. He is the owner of the vineyard. Now, let, let me give you a little illustration. It seems to me that, that, that pretty much all of us are born with selfish instincts. Would you agree? Yeah. It's, it's, it's true. If you've ever been around toddlers, who's been around small people lately? You stick your hand up in the air. There you go. If you've been, you'll know that it doesn't take long for them to learn a couple of powerful one-word sentences. Do you know what they are? Yeah. No, mine. <laughs> yeah, no, mine. That very quickly do they learn those 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 sentences, and and it's amazing the feelings of ownership that toddlers can have. Do you think if they can get their hands on it, then it becomes theirs, not yours anymore. It's mine, screams the toddler. And the battle is on, isn't it? And it wouldn't matter if the object were a cardboard box or a priceless work of art. Once their hands are on it, it's, it's mine. It's, it, that's it. It's mine, 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 my mine, mine, mine. <laughs> it seems ridiculous because, do you know what? Children, they can't comprehend the value of things, can they? Or or that someone might have worked hard to buy that valuable piece of art. They can't understand responsibility, time, earnings or value. But they immediately understand this concept of possession. Don't they? Who disagrees with that? I hope nobody does. Because that's true. Kids, it's mine. No. But here's the thing. I don't think we really grow out of it. By the time a person is 30, 50 or 70... We've usually had a chance to look up to the heavens, curl our fingers into a fist and say, but God, it was mine. It was mine. But God, that was my good health. It was mine. I want it back. I don't want the disease. I'm tired of the way I feel. I'm scared of the surgery. I'm sick of the treatments. It's not fair that it costs this much. God, it was my health. It was mine. But God, I earned that money. Why did the stock market have to do that now? That was my retirement fund. It was mine. But God said, but God, says the man by the fresh grave, she was mine. But God, says the mother staring at the empty room of her now 18 year old son, he was just a little boy and I liked him that way. He was mine. But God, says the young adult, that was my future. I planned it. I worked for it. I went to school for it. I made the promotions. It was all mine. I don't want to change midstream. But God, says the church member, I gave years of my time to that church. I gave thousands of pounds and more sweat than I could count. Now it's changing. It's not what it was. God, this is my church and I want it back. No, says God, to the two-year-old in all of us. It wasn't yours at all. She wasn't, he wasn't, the church wasn't yours. You're not even yours. It all belongs to me. For I am God. From the moment that God issued the first of his Ten Commandments, he told us what? He told us that he was a jealous jealous God. That he would tolerate no other gods. That he would never relinquish his right to be God. In the vineyard, we find another opportunity to realize that God is in control. God is in charge. And guess what? We are not. We are not. We can't find our purpose without first realizing our place. We can't find our purpose without first realizing our place. Because guess what? In the garden, the branch doesn't tell the vine what to do. On the farm, the plants don't tell the farmer how to get the job done. Do they, Les? No. Can you imagine a plant telling the gardener, no, I'll do it my way. No, the gardener knows best for the plants. And cultivates and works and cuts and removes and fertilizes and waters and covers and sprays. And for very good reason. A good plant simply trusts the gardener. I have four minutes on my clock left. I'm not going to manage it. It is going to go over. Forgive me. There may be no harder principle to put into practice for many believers than this first one. We all tend to be control freaks. To a degree, we all want to be in control. How many of you have this? Who who drives a car? Who's got a license and drives a car regularly? I hate it when I'm a passenger in a car. I I don't like it. You're too close to the edge. You're not braking soon enough. You're not indicating as well. I would indicate. How many of you put your foot down on the brake that's not there? Do you know what I mean? But you're not in control. The driver's in control. (laughs) But you are there thinking, I should be driving. And when it comes to bearing fruit spiritually, I've got some news for you. God demands that we release control. There's no option. You, you and me, we've got no more right to tell God how to do his business than a plant has a right to give us instructions. My, my chili plant that I'm cultivating on my windowsill doesn't tell me what to do with it. And, and I've cut it and I've prodded it and I've preened it and I've soaked it and, I've, and it's now beginning to, there's flowers beginning to appear, which sooner or later it's, well, here's one of those from the supermarket, it's not dyed, I'm going to have chillies and I'm going to enjoy those chillies but it doesn't tell me what to do it doesn't work that way, because that might sound like bad news for some of us but it's, it's the way it's got to be if we're going to bear lasting fruit now the other side of the coin sounds a bit more like good news this is the good news of that It means that we don't have to carry the weight of being in control. That can just be lifted off our shoulders. And that is a good feeling. We're not carrying the weight of the branch because we are the branch. Our job, our sole job, is just to bear fruit. That's the good news, isn't it? It And God wants as much fruit as possible from our lives. So... If our job, our purpose in life is to bear fruit, then our mission in life is to discover just about how we go. How do we go about doing it. How do we go about bearing fruit? And one of the most important questions that we can ask, it's been asked for, for history past. Why am I here? Why was I born? That is a philosophical question, that is not a scientific question. And this is the season, I think, to look hard at that question. Why was I born? Because to find the answer, and if you've not already found it, is to to do exactly what Jesus asked, and that is to bear fruit. And bearing fruit isn't an overnight process. It's a long time, long life effort. It takes a while. And we might think even that bearing fruit relates to to evangelism, which is reaching out and and seeing people come to faith. And that that, that we think that the fruit of that is seeing people come to faith of pre-believers. And I'm calling them pre-believers. There's no nones in this world. I'm believing that everyone will come to faith. Everyone will come to know Jesus. Who's with me? Awesome. Awesome. But this this idea of bearing fruit, it isn't reserved for the one individual who might hear a person pray a prayer of salvation or the individual who might have the privilege of baptizing a new convert. Everyone in the church has a role in bearing fruit as each person uses his or her God-given gifts. I'll say that again. That's everyone in the church using your God-given gifts in all sorts of different ways. So people with the gift of evangelism, they've got to go about their their work of bearing evangelistic fruit. But what about the Christian teachers and preachers? Or those with the gift of hospitality? What about those that are gifted to work with small children and young people? What about those with the gift of prophecy? What about those with the pastoral gift? And are able to counsel others with wisdom and biblical insight? What about those with the amazing gift of good administration? Who likes a bit of good administration? Oh, I'm seeing two right here. I'm sure, there are more. I'm looking at two right here. Um, a psychologist at Stanford University in America once tried to show that that we live for productive results or, or, or fruit, in other words, as, we, as we're talking about this morning. And this researcher hired a, what what Americans call a logger, so somebody who kind of cuts down trees and cuts them up. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah, we don't really have loggers in this country, I don't think. Might do. Don't know. Anyway. Um, And this researcher hired this logger and he said to them, I'll pay you double what you get paid in the logging camp if you just take the blunt end of this axe and just pound this log all day. As hard as you can. Just as if you were logging. And after half a day, the man quit. He just quit. And when the psychologist asked, why did you quit? The logger said, because every time I move an axe, I've got to see chips fly. Things have got to happen. And if I don't see it fly, then it's no fun. And right here in this room, we've got an awesome mix of gifts. And that means that none of us should try and create a carbon copy of another's work. Instead, we need to develop our God-given gifts and bear the fruit that we were meant to bear. Yeah? Yeah. Or as that frustrated logger might say... If you find teaching a Bible study to be a very frustrating experience, then stop cutting mud with the blunt end of an axe. So just because you're doing something, and that's the thing you've always done, and that's the thing that other people say you're good at, doesn't mean that that's the thing you need to be doing. We should always constantly evaluate. Am I bearing fruit? Is what I'm doing purposeful? Is it creating an end result? Is it going anywhere? Am I bearing fruit? Let's also think about the fruits of the Spirit from Galatians 5, verses 22 to 23. And we've got got what? We've got love. Can you say them? Joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. In John 15, verse 12, Jesus gave a basic but powerful command and he says, Love one another. And that happens to be the very first fruit of the Spirit. There are so many ways to bear fruit in our lives. Titus 3.14 says, Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good, in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Psalms 1.3 said, The person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And, and there's real joy in that. Every thought, every action, every attitude can can be good work. It, it can be another grape on that cluster. And And we might say, by these things the Father is glorified. If it's only for winning people to Christ, we could go our entire lives with precious few moments when we think, okay, I'm getting it. Jesus didn't intend for any of us to live in that kind of guilt and disappointment. He intended us to live an abundant life. I'll say it again, bear the fruit that God intended you to bear. I've already said it, but bearing fruit requires a lifelong commitment of work and discipline. And maybe that's why self-control is listed among the fruits of the Spirit. No plant casually produces a lot of fruit. Instead, it's a slow process. It's a structured process. It's a process that produces fruit only in season and when the plant is ready. So I'm trying to just say to you, remove all guilt from yourselves. And if you think, I'm not bearing fruit, there is no condemnation. You just need to evaluate. What am I doing? How am I doing it? What does Jesus say? And how how can I change, do things differently, do things better? And how can I produce fruit in whatever it is you're intended to produce fruit in? In every garden, in every vineyard, there is an opportunity to be discouraged. There's weaves, thrive, insects, feast, mildew, flourishes, and disease finds an outdoor home. And in every life, likewise, there are elements that can hinder production of healthy fruit it would be easy, wouldn't it, with all the negative elements in our lives to become discouraged in the vineyard of John 15. It, it, It might be easy to quietly think, I can't. I can't do it. There's too much guilt. I've tried it before. I'm frustrated in the search. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I don't want to bear anything anymore. If so, I want you to listen to this wonderful truth. If you let the vine dresser Direct your path. You'll not be tired in bearing fruit. You'll not be stressed. You'll not be confused. You'll simply bear fruit and you'll enjoy the process. Think of that lesson that Jesus used. Have you ever seen a vine, a great vine that was stressed out? Or have you ever seen an apple tree that couldn't decide between producing bananas or apples? You ever seen that? Can you imagine a, it's a bit weird, can you imagine a strawberry plant girl thing crying in her bedroom, (laughs) banging her little strawberry fists on the bed and crying, I just can't do this anymore. These things don't just happen. Because plants produce fruit naturally. They have what the wonderful, loving, guiding hand of the gardener. They have that and they don't have to do anything except what they were designed to do. Yes. Frankly, if, if, if you're exhausted in your life's work, I'm not talking about your work, like what you do 9 to 5. In your life's work, you might be in the wrong line of work. Healthy branches don't get stressed. They simply bear fruit. You might be trying to make bananas come out of apple buds. You might be stressed because you're doing some unnatural work. Wouldn't you like to, to bear the right kind of fruit? And not worry if you've got the right tools, the right gifts, the right timing or the right calling. The owner of the vineyard doesn't want you to do something unnatural. He wants you to produce fruit naturally. And he has given all you need. He's given us all we need. To do the great job that we were designed to do. Let me conclude with this short illustration here. So there's a guy called Danny Simpson, and he lived in Ottawa in Canada. And the year was 1990. And Danny was desperate. He didn't have the resources he needed to survive, and he was short on cash, even shorter on skills, and he'd run out of time and options. So Danny took the gun that had been handed down through his family's line, he went to a bank and robbed it of $6,000 in a hold-up. And Danny wasn't very good at robbing banks, and he was promptly arrested. And at the trial, two significant things happened. First, Danny was sentenced to six years in prison. His opportunities to succeed in life dropped to minute proportions. But second, as, as the courtroom Looked closely at the evidence. Folks looked at the, the, the weapon that is used. And it was a, a, a .45 Colt semi-automatic. The kind that the um, gun collectors look at with salivating stares. It was an antique, this gun. It was made by the Ross Rifle Company in 1918. And its value? About $100,000. So did you get that? Danny robbed a bank for $6,000 all the time holding $100,000 in his hand. Danny already had what he needed. He just didn't know it. God will not ask you to bear a certain kind of fruit without equipping you To bear that fruit. God has given us his word. Through the Bible. As our ultimate resource. No matter what the question. The answer is in the Bible. And you've got it. You've got more than you need already. He also gave us his Holy Spirit. That now lives inside us. To equip us. To help us bear fruit. So maybe what we all really need. Is trust and this is the point of really everything I've said for the last 20 minutes the reason is to go back to that first principle from the first instruction it's actually not about you or me it's about Jesus Jesus said I am the vine not you you're the branch my father is the owner of the vineyard not you He'll make the gardening decisions. He'll do the pruning. He'll call the shots. That's his right, not yours. So let me just conclude. Let's let go. Release control. Give it over to him. Give him direction. Give him, allow him to cultivate you. And just see what happens. It will be amazing. It will be amazing. Awesome. So why don't we, can we just stand? Father, thank you for what you've done today. Thank you for what you've spoken to us this morning. Thank you for the good news stories that we heard earlier. Father, we are called Freedom Church. And that means, Father God, that you want us to release control. That you want us to, to be free, to be all that we can be. You want us to be that child on the hillside, rolling down the hill, uh, over and over, just enjoying life. And Father, we, we, we can't know every, every avenue, every nook, every cranny. And, but Father, you do. You, you know it all. You know what's going to happen from one moment to the next. You're just waiting to see what we do with it. And so, Father, help us and guide us. Send us down the right avenues and alleyways, Father God, so that we truly follow all that you've got for us, Lord God. Father, we release control. We will try, Father God, to not be the control freaks. We will not be the passenger in the car pushing our our legs down to brake. But, Father God, we will trust in you, in all that you've got for us. Thank you, Father, for this family. Thank you for Freedom Church. Thank you for what we're doing. Thank you for the fruit that we will see. Father, we do declare that 2017 is a year of extreme fruitfulness. In Jesus' mighty, wonderful, awesome name. Amen. In this house, we are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give second chances to anyone and we also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud. We give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house, that means we we love. love.